I was looking around and realizing how white and male commercial real estate was and how it, it, and that's the truth. Uh, commercial real estate is so white and that's a problem. And white people need to talk about what a problem that is and white people need to fix it. There's a difference between a dream chaser and a dream catcher. Thanks all for tuning in to dream catchers where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dreams. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the grand pleasure, and I do mean grand, because she's a digital nomad right now, have no idea where she is. Well, actually, I do. I know she's in Virginia today, but tomorrow she's probably not going to be there. But anyway, I have Allison Weiss on the show with me today. Allison, how are things in Virginia? They are so beautiful, actually. You can't see, but on the other side of my screen, I have the Chesapeake Bay, and it is a sunny day. It is in the low 50s, and it's gorgeous. I just love being here. It's super remote, but right on the coastline, and just wooded and beautiful, full of wildlife and I am really living the dream. Uh, not not to brag, but it's a it's a pretty beautiful beautiful view. Now, anytime somebody starts talking about living the dream, you know I'm going to light up. And so I'm so <laughs> excited to dig in and unpack this phenomenal story that I have the privilege of knowing just a little bit about. And so the listeners are absolutely in for a treat today. Before we dive in, if the listeners want to get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. So I'm really active on LinkedIn. If you want to check out my profile, I'm Allison S. Weiss, W-E-I-S-S, and I'm the founder of CRE Recruiting. So that's another way to find me. I'm also on Clubhouse a lot and Instagram with the same handle, um, actually at Allison S. Weiss. Wow. She's got all this. Somebody talked to her about Brandon. She's got it all the same on all the platforms. You know, <laughs> there's a bunch of people out there doing a bunch of different things. She's got the consistency going. You guys better watch yeah. out. So, you know, the Dreamcatchers podcast made a pivot a little while ago, and we really focused on talking about the red pill. And the red pill for the listeners who haven't heard about it is six layers. Self-image, relationship, work, health, prosperity, and then we wrap it all up with significance. And so let's go into the nucleus. Let's talk about that first level, which is self-image. Who is Allison and how did she become who she is today? Sure. So I, I've had a really interesting um, and I think amazing journey in my life. It's definitely had some challenges and some detours and things like that. I was born into a military family. And so I went to three elementary schools, two middle schools and two high schools. And so for me, I was always meeting people for the first time. I was an ambassador for my sister who is 18 months younger and very shy. I was sort of always uh, the new girl and reinventing myself and helping people get to know who I was and, and the things that I liked and played sports and things like that. And definitely that helped to um, align me with specific communities of people and to really build relationships. 
But growing up in a military family, living 13 different places before I turned 15, sort of built in me this ability to never meet a stranger. So that was a big part of my journey, this this movement. Um, and, and it was challenging, I think, especially as a young kid um, and, and being a kid from the 80s. We didn't have Facebook. We didn't have a lot of the tools to stay connected. I remember writing really sad pen pal, pen pal letters and sending packages to my friends and, um, you know, wondering about when I was going to ever see them again. And thankfully now I have this beautiful network of people all across the country. I, whenever I'm traveling, not necessarily in COVID times, but before I had, you know, a nice little network um, built in a lot of the different cities around the country, just based on having to move around. So that's a big part of my story, this this nomad sort of journey. And it's funny that that pattern repeated itself now. Um, but now I'm in control of it. Now it's my choice. I'm not being, you know, sort of carted from, you know, here to there by by my parents. And I'm really just loving the experience and loving the unique challenges and the joys that it brings. Wow. Okay. So you said a lot there. And the first is I moved around a lot. So I got to meet meet a bunch of different people in a bunch of different places. And that changed my identity as I went to the new places. And so the question that I have there is, did you actually decide who Allison was or did you already establish that, that process of redefining yourself as you grew? A lot of times people decide who they're going to be when they're eight. And then when they're 40 and their plan's not working out, they're still trying to live out that thing they decided they wanted to be when they were eight. And I think you say that you broke that pattern because you couldn't stay stagnant before. Is that true? Yeah, I think that's true. I think I always was very clear about the things that I loved and the things that were important to me. Um, and one of those things is people. And that's definitely like a through line and a pattern in my life and my career. Um, but, you know, really loving sports, loving the outdoors, loving adventure, loving art and creativity. Those sorts of things are are the things that I knew how I was exactly going to pursue that path and how those things were going to come together to create my my story and, and my career journey. I didn't necessarily know or have, you know, a really, um, I guess, strong answer for that question. So I've been a little bit feeling my way through my journey, um, just knowing you know, here are the important things to me and how those are going to come together and work together was a little bit more flexible. It was less rigid than maybe some other people who knew, hey, I want to be a firefighter. Or I want to be an NFL player or whatever. I, I knew there were certain elements that I wanted in my life, but I didn't know exactly how it was going to all work itself out. And so were you comfortable in that ambiguity? I was not. I was actually one of those people who really wanted direction. I really I read a lot of books. I, I watched a lot of, you know, movies and TV and I sort of investigated and was a scientist about what other people were doing. And I was I was always sort of craving that that direction and that certainty that I think a lot of other people around me had. And I had moments where I thought, you know, okay, this is what I want to do. So for instance, I actually went to school to be an art teacher. Um, I mentioned art and creativity, and that's definitely something that I'm passionate about and have been ever since I was I was young. And I had a really galvanizing experience with 9-11. When that happened, I was actually in art class. I was a senior in high school. And so that and, and the response to that from my art teacher 
and the art club that I was a part of was to make these beautiful quilts for the three schools that were closest to ground zero. So the elementary school, middle school, and high school. And so I poured myself into that effort and I felt this ability for art and creativity to really bring comfort and healing, not just to myself, but, but to other people. And I thought, wow, you know, maybe this is what I want to do. I want to be like this art teacher. And so I went down that pathway and I, I really loved the classes. I, I loved being able to explore sort of my creative expression. I loved learning a little bit of everything because as an art teacher, you have to teach basically all the different disciplines within art. So I enjoyed that education, but my student teaching experience I loved the students. I did not love the fact that I would work 60, 80 hours a week and make a very small amount of money and struggle. I also didn't love some of the politics and some of the, you know, the issues between the parents and and the PTA and, and the teachers and things like that. And too, when I graduated, there just weren't a lot of opportunities for art teachers. There was only one full-time role for an art teacher in the state of Wisconsin and two part-time roles with no benefits. And I graduated in a class of 30. So I knew I had to pivot and I had to rely on some of the other relationships and strengths that I built in myself during college, uh, including being the president of my sorority and taking internships outside of my major. So I was able to pivot, thankfully, but yeah, I would have loved to have known to to be able to wake up and say, this is my path. But I didn't figure that out until pretty recently, actually. Whoa. So, man, you've been an explorer the entire time. I mean, and I think it started when you were small. So you you made a change. And it's interesting. You, you described yourself as a founder early on in the conversation. And so you have been finding your way for a long time. Mm, I love that. Nobody's made that connection for me before. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me where you went since you didn't become an art teacher, because I mean, that's the whole point of getting that degree, right? Right. Uh, And to an art teaching degree isn't going to open up a lot of other doors. (laughs) It's not, it's not what your parents necessarily are super excited for you to do with your, your future. Although my parents were very supportive what I ended up doing, actually, thankfully, because I'd held so many different leadership roles within my sorority and um, really made the most of that experience, I was able to land a very coveted role as a consultant for my sorority for a short time after college. So I traveled again all around the country, primarily to a lot of the big SEC schools in the South and, and some other schools and, you know, big, big, you know, sort of universities like the University of Oregon and places like that out West. And that was a great experience. But, you know, I went into that knowing that it was a short, short term experience. And I was on the road 98% of the time. I was only home one week in a month. I was living in sorority houses, um, which is a unique and fun challenge when, you know, you're supposed to be the adult, but you're really only six months younger than some of the folks. And I was helping them. I was helping them with recruiting and branding and PR and all sorts of different things. I was helping to open new chapters. There was a new chapter that went in at TCU and I did some of the work on that. And so when I came back from that experience, I really had to think, you know, what what is the next step? What am I going to do? And just by happenstance, I was connected with a recruiter who introduced me to two different opportunities and neither I was really qualified for truly. Um, I think they just liked my personality. They liked my, my gumption and my grit and, and the fact that I was willing to take a chance on myself and I was willing to do everything that it took to beat the learning curve. 
And those two opportunities were to be an executive assistant at a very prominent family office. It was a third generation family that were a majority shareholders of a publicly traded hospitality and theater company, the sort of family that has their name on everything in town and that everyone knows. Um, so I could be an executive assistant in, in the family office or I could design the interiors and the spaces um, and the build outs for a fund manager. Um, and this was also <laughs> to frame it in time. This was in uh, early 2007. So this is right before everything was about to hit the fan and we didn't know it. I felt that working in the family office was going to open a lot of doors and it felt more stable. And so I went in that direction. I also really liked the people. And, you know, thankfully I made that choice because just a short amount of time later, you know, the world came crashing down and the fund manager ended up not expanding aggressively. And so there wouldn't have been a home for me, but that's, that's sort of how I took that next step. And that experience lasted for just under three years. And they are some of the most tremendous people. They taught me incredible lessons. And a lot of the people that I worked for there you know, I consider to be mentors who have really shaped and informed the way that I show up, um, who I am as a person, how I approach my work. And there are people that I still talk to today, which is really just incredible and rewarding and valuable to me. Whoa. And so most people have no path into the type of network that you get access to when you move into a family office space. And so that was opportunity you took and you spent three years there. And then what do you do next? So at, at a certain point, I realized I was never going to be a member of the family. And that to me <laughs> made me realize I, you know, I might not have, you know, a, a, a meteoric rise at this company. And I was I was getting a little fatigued as well because I had been promoted into coordinating some of the investments and doing some work as we launched an owner's rep firm on the real estate side and, um, you know, took a restaurant concept and turned it into a franchise and started our first location and did some of that work. And I just realized that it was time for me to move on. I loved the people and I loved the experience and I was grateful and I was ready and I just randomly got a phone call um, from a recruiter over at Farmers Insurance. This was back in the day when you used to put your resume on monster.com. And so people would just randomly call you. And I went in for an interview and they were trying to recruit me to be an agent. And I thought, uh, I don't I don't really think I want to be an insurance agent. But in getting to know this recruiter, he was like, I think you could be really good at recruiting. Have you ever considered it? And I was like, well, I mean, I recruited people for years into a sorority and I, you know, did that pretty well. So maybe this is sort of the same thing. And I like the people. I like the company. I, I liked that it was a company that really had pretty anemic market share east of the Mississippi at the time. It's a well-known California company, but they were definitely expanding into the market that I was in. And so it was a real growth opportunity. So I took it. It was also a significant sort of compensation increase for me, which was exciting at the time. And I did that, I think, for about eight months recruiting insurance agents and, and helping them. And to me, I was I was helping people to pursue their dreams of entrepreneurship. And that's sort of how I looked at recruiting. And I had gotten the entrepreneurial bug. I caught that working at the family office. I grew up in a family of people who worked for companies and were employees. And so I wasn't really ever exposed to another way of living or another way of working. 
And so when I was at the family office, I had a lot of learning to do. So I started reading Inc. Magazine and Fast Company and all the books I could get my hands on. And this was before podcasts. So I was just reading, reading, reading. And so going to farmers was taking me a little bit closer to this sort of entrepreneurial world and helping people to transition into that business. And within eight months, they fired my boss and they gave me his job. And (laughs) all all of a sudden, I think I was... I was maybe 26 at the time, and I was managing a team of anywhere from eight to 10 recruiters. And I'd, I'd been a recruiter for eight months and a member of the team. And so the dynamics there you know, were a little bit challenging, but managed through that. And then about a year after that, I, I came into work one day and was called into my boss's office. And there were a, a bunch of very high-level executives that I knew sitting around the table that I didn't expect to see because they were from all all across the country. And they said, "Hey, Allison, you know, we want to we we want we want to talk to you. We're promoting you." And I was like, "Oh, oh, that's fantastic! Tell me more." <laughs> they promoted me to a role in the home office that started a week from that very day. And it was in California. And I was in Wisconsin at the time. I was managing all of the agent recruiting for the state of Wisconsin for farmers insurance. They liked what I had built in terms of systems and processes. And they wanted me to take that and bring it to home office and scale it and and teach other people to do what I had done. And the reason they did it on that Tuesday is because I had a vacation planned um, for the rest of the week. I I had a boyfriend at the time. I was going to Atlanta um, and we were going to have a fun time with some of his friends. So they told me that I went on this vacation. I told that boyfriend I came back and I literally switched planes in the airport and went to California and I worked my first week and I was exhausted at the end of the week. And I said to him, hey, you know what? I'm not going to come back this weekend. I'll come back next weekend. I've just got to figure this out. Because I, at that point, I wasn't even sure I was going to continue, that I was going to take the opportunity. He broke up with me on the spot. And I said, okay, I guess I'm moving to California. (laughs) And so I was there for another maybe a year or two. Um, They put me, it was funny. They moved me to the home office to put me on a plane to all across the country and primarily places you know, like small markets like Cleveland and Columbus and Minneapolis and things like that. So yeah. interesting. So you move, where were you moving from when you came to LA? I was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So moving, (laughs) moving from Milwaukee to LA is like moving from earth to the moon, basically that that's what that transition felt like. And you know what? It was good for me. Milwaukee was getting a little bit small. I'd gone to college there. I had had my first few jobs there. I was involved um, in uh, nonprofit work there. And I couldn't even go to the grocery store, you know, without my hair done because I'd run into like five or six people. So it was a good move for me. But it was also very isolating to go from knowing so many people in what is a really sort of it's a big city, but a small town, Milwaukee, to going to L.A. where where you're one of millions of people um, was it was a fish out of water experience for me. For sure. But not really, because yeah. you did that the whole time <laughs> you were growing up. I, I have. I've done it my whole life. Yeah, you're right. OK, you're right. And so now we're in L.A. We're in the big city. We got a big pay increase because. LA costs way more than Milwaukee and 
you stay there for a while and then you become a founder. Yes. Well, so in between there, I fell into commercial real estate recruiting. I was recruited to go join the team at Marcus and Millichap in their corporate headquarters. And um, I was recruiting brokers and teams of brokers, identifying acquisition targets. I stood up a campus recruiting program for some of the largest real estate programs nationally. I managed their um, mentorship program for junior agents. Um, I did a lot of great things there. And then I did a similar thing at Collier's for a few years. And it was becoming really painful for me um, to not follow my dreams, not pursue my passion, not continue to grow. You know, if, you know, I was doing the same deals over and over and over. And I was also dealing with environments that weren't a great fit for me um, from a cultural perspective. And I was seeing things that I wanted to change. I was I was looking around and realizing how white and male commercial real estate was and how And that's the truth. Uh, Commercial real estate is so white and that's a problem. And white people need to talk about what a problem that is and white people need to fix it. And, And so all of those sorts of things came together and culminated for me. And I realized because these things would happen, I would go to conferences, I would run into people that I loved and they would say, Hey, Allison, we're, we want to grow and we're really having a hard time. We don't know what to do. Like, what's your best advice or can you help us? And I thought, wow, there's an opportunity for me here to leverage everything that I've done and all the things that I've learned, all these secrets that, that these larger companies are using to build and grow and scale and all the systems and processes and really the art and science of recruiting. And I can do that and I can help smaller companies, more entrepreneurial companies win and compete against these big guys. And at the same time, I can try to fix some of the things that's wrong with our industry. I can make it a safer place for women. I can make it a safer place and a more welcoming place for you know the BIPOC community. And all of those things to me are so much more important than the stability of a paycheck and the comfort of knowing how much money I'm going to make every year. Whoa. Or how much the maximum (laughs) you're going to be able to make. (laughs) Yes, exactly. 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 And you know what? I think there's some of us and I have this problem and I'm working through it that, that we have, we have sort of an upper limit. We don't want to make more than a certain amount of money, maybe because that's what our parents have made or that's what our friends are making. And so we don't want to exceed and make other people uncomfortable. And that was something too that I had to recognize and deal with. Like I was installing a limit for myself in terms of the success I could achieve because I didn't want to rock the boat or make people uncomfortable. What's up, Tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. Ooh, and that's all that you do today. If you guys pay attention to what Allison has going on, you're going to know she's a boat rocker. And just think about the way she put the pen on it. White people need to fix this. I was like, oh. So, all right, <laughs> you you, you actually leave, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And there's a difference between thinking about leaving and actually leaving. When you finally left, was that the first time you were called out and said, hey, I need to go leave? Or did you resist the urge a few times? I resisted it so much. And I'll tell you what, like in the last few years, I was so sick. I was so unhappy. I mean, and when I say sick, I don't mean just like I got the sniffles a lot. 
I, I had to have my gallbladder removed. I had a massive, like a super bug that I couldn't get rid of for six months. I went through some stuff because my body knew that I was unhappy and that I did not belong where I was staying. And my friend Garland says this, and I think it's so brilliant. And I say it to myself all the time is uh, go where you're celebrated, go where you're appreciated. I love it. I definitely was the person and have been the person that asked a lot of questions and poked a lot of holes and said, why are we doing things this way? Things could be better. Here's how things could be better and, and question some of some of the authority <laughs> that I that I worked with. And so for me, I knew that I didn't fit any longer in the box that I was in, but I was also terrified. And it had to get to a point where I was so uncomfortable that it, it was literally painful to get out of bed in the morning. Like I literally got sick when I had to go certain places. And the universe, I think, sometimes will kick us out of places and, and put, you know, put us into um, positions where we have no choice but to leave. And that's sort of what happened to me. I, I would love to stand here and say I was brave enough to do it myself. I was I was brave enough to take the leap as soon as I got the call. I'm getting better at listening to those those nudges and those voices and, and those feelings. I, I am working on that, but it took me a long time to get there to cut through the noise because when I had those initial thoughts and urges, you know, they didn't necessarily make logical sense. I, I was continuing to be promoted. I was continuing to earn more money and, and be more successful and have more exposure and all of those things. But I, I also looked around and saw myself as a person who had a lot of responsibility and, and power to change people's lives, either positively or negatively. And so the, the, you know, recruiting people into an organization, I have to know that when I am getting someone to trust me, that that the company that I work for is going to follow through with these promises, I need to know that that's going to happen. And that is not always the case, um, not just in brokerage, not just in commercial real estate. And so for me, it was out of alignment to continue to work within companies that weren't always keeping their promises to people. And so now I can choose my clients and I can say, you know, if, if things are out of alignment, like, I'm, I'm sorry, this isn't going to work because I think of not just the individual in front of me, but their family, their retirement, their kids, their, their kids, college funds, all of those sorts of things are at risk in making a move and, and, you know, sort of in the financial aspects of recruiting and what I do. Ooh. Ooh. So, you know, most people would <laughs> like, just kind of let this thing ride, but like, I'm not. You you said this in a way that I wouldn't typically characterize it, but I think it's still true. So your dis-ease yes. turned into disease. Yes. Yes. And yes. people think that they can just bury it and the oh, money yes. makes it okay. Yes. And the discomfort isn't that bad. I love the story about the guy that walks up on the porch of a farmer and his dog is laying there. And every now and again, he'll let out a little yelp. Be like, oh. And then the, the, the farmer's friend looks at the dog, looks at the farmer and five minutes later, and the guy looks at him and said, what's wrong with the dog? <laughs> and the farmer laughs. He says, oh, he's laying on the nail. And his friend says, so why doesn't he get up? And farmer says it doesn't hurt enough yet. Yes. And that's what we do. We yeah. stay in these environments because it doesn't hurt enough. Because maybe we're yeah. scared. Maybe maybe something else is going on. We feel like it's the cure to be there. But I tell you what, if there's a reduction in force, 
There's nothing that there feels safe no about that yeah. opportunity, even if you're not yeah. impacted. So I, I appreciate you going there. And the one thing that I haven't heard you say in mm-hmm. specificity, and so I'm going to make <laughs> you now, is you decided to make this transition and you weren't really ready to, but you did it and you're still out. You're successfully out on your own. Who showed up to help you along the way? <sighs> Such a great question. Well, first, I want you to know that when when all of this happened, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And there was a big part of me that thought commercial real estate is just not for me. Like this industry is too sick with too many problems. And I don't know that I can fix them. I don't know that that this is a place that it makes sense for me to say. I, my entire career, have worked in tremendously male-dominated environments, and I don't know if I'm just a masochist or what, but <laughs> I, I thought for a second that maybe I should, maybe I should go, maybe I should find a new industry entirely. And what I realized was that I loved the business. I mean, I am, I am absolutely thrilled every single day to wake up and be in commercial real estate and real estate generally because it's so dynamic. It's all around us. It's it's really so vibrant and ever-changing. I'm never going to learn everything or be the smartest person in the room. And that to me is thrilling. And so when I realized that I did want to stay in the industry and I just didn't love the environments that I was in, I thought about, you know, what were the things that I truly wanted? Like, what were my values? What was important to me and what was a deal breaker? What were the things I wasn't going to tolerate in the future? And it literally dawned on me, I think, while eating lunch with a friend, like, I'm, I'm actually going to do this. I'm going to start a commercial real estate focused recruiting firm. I'm going to work with companies all across the industry and all across the country, which I had done previously. I'd always worked nationally. And a lot of people showed up for me. I think I spent a lot of the years of my career pouring into people and not necessarily ever asking for help. And so when I let people know what I was doing, honestly, the the support and encouragement and resources that I receive from people. Like I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it because it was the most overwhelming in a, in a good way experience of my life to, to see people come out of the woodwork, to, to share my social media posts and to help me think through my marketing and to recommend different uh, connections and and help me network and build my business. So a couple of those people, if I, if I can shout them out specifically, um, a woman named Christiane Schrobelgen. She was someone I had worked with at Collier's. I had thrown her baby shower. She's just a tremendous marketing and operations brain. Um, she'd been in brokerage. Now she's in um, the the, sustain- the sustainability space. She helped me with the website and the copy. She suggested to me the book Traction and um, the entrepreneurial operating system and things like that. My other friend, um, another friend, Garland Fuller, who I mentioned earlier, the one who said, go where you're celebrated. Um, She's been tremendous. I I actually built also during this time um, because I looked around and I thought, wow, I just don't have enough strong female friends in the industry. And when I go to these crew events, I I don't feel inspired. (laughs) I, I feel like... And and to be fair, Crew is a great organization and every chapter is different and every experience is different. But instead of focusing on the past and on some of the statistics about how bad our industry is, I would rather find people like me who are passionate about making it different. 
And so I started having those conversations with people like Christiane and people like Garland. And I said, who are these other women that you know? And let's let's come together and let's talk about like, how can we support each other? How can we refer each other business? How can we collaborate? How can we disrupt some of the things that we don't like in the industry? And so I think we had our inaugural sort of kickoff lunch in October of 2019. So shortly after I launched the company, and it was incredible, this energy and the support and, and the you know, recognition of the things that we wanted to uh, be a part of changing and be leaders in and things like that. And so today we're still, we're still talking to each other um, formerly, formally on, monthly, on a monthly basis. And we alternate between like happy hour stuff and, and bringing in speakers and professional development. We open it up to women outside of our little inner circle, which is about 10, 10 women right now. And it's just been the joy of my life. It's been probably one of the most rewarding experiences I've ever had. And those women, and, and this is another Garland Fuller saying, <laughs> she, she says, you need to find your personal board of directors. And, and those women are mine. Um, and the thing too that I'm most proud of is if, if you saw us in a picture, I'm one of maybe two or three white women out of the 10. And everybody else is from a different background. And so I think if we... If we want to change our industry, if we want more diversity, we really have to embody it. And so that's really what I focus on. And that's what I look for in other people. Oh, why is diversity important? I mean, come on. Why, why would anybody care about that? I, I think we're better when we have alternative um, opinions. We have alternative experiences. We have people who see things differently and look at things differently. And, and truly, here, here's what it comes down to. The communities that we serve aren't all white communities. They're not all affluent communities. They're not, you know, they're not third generation in the business communities. And so it's a disservice. We don't necessarily, as white people, understand the communities that we're serving. And so we should bring in people from those communities. Those perspectives are so important and so valid and vital to us shaping the neighborhoods and and the, you know, I, the communities that we're in. I, I just don't think we can take our myopic privileged perspective and expect to be able to serve and do the right thing um, in, in every neighborhood that we're in. It doesn't make sense. Oh, you're stepping on toes now. <laughs> Stop. Okay. So I, I just love the thoughts on diversity and wanting to help move folks to that next space because if you don't do that, then what are you actually doing? Right? The exactly. exposure. Exactly. And I think your upbringing, coming back to that upbringing, puts you in a great space to yes. have success here because you've been around so many different places. You just have different impacts and you can see the value across all of those folks. Right. Okay. And so you make the exit, you get the support from the ladies guys, you're missing out. She just, she only mentioned ladies this whole way through. You're missing out, Sorry. guys. You're, you're not showing up for Allison. Look, and then. Oh no, that's wait, not true. Nope, I'm, I'm calling it. I'm throwing the flag. Guys, you got to show up in a big way for this lady. All right. So we, we get there, you're out, you get the branding, things start going. When is the moment that you realize you had to keep going? I call this the red pill moment. I think it's probably COVID actually. So I had, I had launched 
in the fall of 2019. And just like any sort of sales business or service business, your pipeline doesn't convert immediately, right? You start to work on things, you get traction. You know, for me specifically, we're talking about placements. So if I'm working on searches and at a higher level, sometimes searches take longer. The things that I start to do in the fall are starting to pay me in the spring. And by the end or by by sort of, um, we say March, no, January, February, things are really clipping along. I've got a full pipeline for the future. Deals are closing. I'm really energized and enthusiastic and things are going great. And then COVID hit. And obviously being attached to hiring within an industry that is heavily impacted by shifts in the economy, a lot of my clients said, oh, let's just let's just wait. Let's just wait and see what happens. Let's put it on pause. I actually found an email the other day that was from a client who said, oh, don't worry about this. We'll see you in our office in two weeks. This will be quick. <laughs> And as we know, it was not. I said the same thing. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Obviously, I I didn't have any idea what was going to happen, but I had this really overwhelming sense of dread. And I also want to point out the fact that Kobe Bryant died right before COVID hit, and so that, that there was a pall cast over LA. That was a really heavy, sort of dark time. And then when we started to hear this news about COVID coronavirus. I just had a really sick, bad feeling about it. It didn't feel to me like some of the other stuff, like the bird flu or Ebola or all these other things. And I had a sick sense about it, but I didn't know what was going to happen. So anyway, my clients, everything sort of pauses and it, it pauses for a while. And so I thought, what can I do to show up and serve people? Like, this is what I really care about is helping people build careers and companies. So what can I do right now to be of service to people? And some of that was I was realizing that internships were being canceled across the board because companies didn't know how to work with students in, a, in an online or, or remote capacity. And so I went out and said, okay, what are the universities that I've worked with in the past? And can I talk to them about what it's like to network on the computer as opposed to in person? Because now we can't go to events. So I started showing up and supporting people. I started doing talks to universities. I started working a lot on branding. I always knew as well that I couldn't continue to trade my time for money, which is what recruiting is. Um, it's, it's what a lot of roles are. And so I thought, how can I replace myself or how can I build my impact if I can create a course or a video or some sort of uh, material that is going to help people and help me to achieve scale and impact, I should be working on those things. And so I got to work on some of those things that are forthcoming because then, of course, business started to pick back up, which is a great thing. But I think a lot of the work that happened during COVID really reconnected me to my purpose in the work that I do, which is to help people to achieve whatever their dreams are. And, and commercial real estate is just a vehicle for that. And whether they're working for a company or whether they have their own company, if I can be a tiny part in what motivates them or, or makes them more hopeful or more successful or more efficient, whatever it is, I want to be there. I want to be that person that I needed when I was starting my business. I want to show up for people in the way that I was, I was helped. And really, COVID was that moment where I could have quit. Right. I realized I was going to basically have to start up my business twice um, because my pipeline sort of vanished. Some things were still happening, but a lot of things fell apart. 
And I realized I was going to have to think about things differently. And I was going to have to show up and be a little bit more vulnerable and talk to people when they were going through layoffs, when they were going through furloughs or reduced hours, or, you know, they had family members who were sick and I was going to have to show up for people and serve in a bigger way than I ever had before. Wow. So instead of going in and thinking about yourself, you decided to go deeper. Yeah. You went back to you. That's, that's outstanding. Most people start thinking about themselves and begin to shrink. So even though there was face of adversity, you decided to keep going anyway. Yeah, is that right? I have always had this really deep certainty. Uh, we talked about wanting to have certainty and wanting to know what your path was at the beginning. Once I got to this path, I just felt really calm and really certain and really resolved that this is what I was put on earth to do. This is how I'm supposed to help people. And so even when you know, the rug was pulled out from underneath me and from all of us, truly, like obviously COVID is not a unique situation that just impacted me. I looked around and I knew that I was made for this sort of moment and that I could show up and be a positive light and be a resource and be someone who is consistently out there helping people as opposed to, you know, out there necessarily trying to capitalize on the moment or sell to people, I thought, what can I do to show up right now and be of service and add value? And all of that will come back to me. I fully believe it. And it has like tenfold because I, I took the focus off of myself. I put it onto others and I focused on just really showing up in a powerful way, in a way that made people feel better about what was happening at the moment, but also the future. Ooh the moment and the future, not just the moment, because that gets you nowhere, right? You'd make some pretty poor choices. Okay, so tell me about your worst fear in the process. You know, I think imposter syndrome is real. This idea that maybe I'm not as great as, as I think I am, or maybe I'm going to be found out, or maybe my advice isn't good, or I'm not smart enough, or I haven't done this long enough, or I, I'm seeing everything through such a lens of privilege that it's it's not actually like this for other people, and, and it only works for me because of these things. I think sometimes I can get in my head and I do have the tendency sometimes to want to hide. Um, it's not my natural inclination to be on video online. And actually, Jerome, like one of the most tremendous things that you've done for me personally is show up and be yourself authentically, specifically on video. And that to me really galvanized me to pick up video and to use video as a tool to help people. So thank you for doing that. That was something too that I think helped me to get over it was like, if I do this and this helps one person, it's worth it. And it's really not about me. And whatever is on my heart to say, or whatever I think the world needs right now, it, it's not about me. It's about those people that I could help. And I see you doing that every single day. And so that, that was something that really helped me to get over this fear um, that I wasn't good enough or smart enough or in the business long enough or, or whatever that not enough was. Mm. The world works so hard to make us feel inadequate. Yes. <laughs> it works so hard to make us feel inadequate. And yeah. it's just not true. No. It's just not true. Not true. So I, well, I appreciate you saying that. I'll send you the check so that all the <laughs> listeners know that, you know, I'm the guy, right? So I'm the first guy that showed up for Allison. You guys heard it here first. Here it Aww. is. 
I just like so, to promote my ladies because I feel like we don't necessarily get enough uh, spotlight or screen time or whatever. But yes, there were men. There were definitely other men. You're one of those men, Jerome. Yona Weiss is another. He's fantastic. Um, he's been a huge champion and supporter of me. Now, imagine that, you know, imagine this whole idea that wife and you guys aren't related is just, it's so funny. <laughs> So here we go. Right. You're, you're in the middle of COVID. I got to ask, was there a rock bottom? Cause I mean, you talked about turning and helping others, but I mean, you had to think about yourself. You know, I think the rock bottom for me in COVID was not necessarily about my business because I, I do know one thing about commercial real estate is it always comes back. It's just a matter of time. For me, the rock bottom was all of a sudden not having the, access to people and the social aspects aspects of what I do. I'm a big hugger. I'm a big like conference goer. I love to get drinks and hang out and and do the whole sort of social part of commercial real estate. And to me, that was pretty devastating to see the the conference calendar get canceled and to know I wasn't going to be able to see or hug my friends. I don't think I had a hug for let's see at least five months um, because I live alone. I have two dogs. I was still in LA at that, that point in time. And I remember the first hug that I got, you know, because five months without a hug is a long, long time if you're a hugger. Um, so I think that was more my rock bottom was, was thinking about how isolated I felt and how challenging the lockdown was in LA. It was not about my business, but it was about missing um, contact with people because that's such a vital part of who I am being in community with people um, and not, not having those outlets anymore. That was really challenging for me. Ooh, I can imagine. I think five months is a long time for anybody. Forget whether you're a hugger or not. That's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long time. So, yeah. you know, we haven't really talked much about this, but I, I think it's probably worth digging into just a little bit. So you you weathered the storm, you got through COVID, then things started to pick back up and you realized you were doing the thing you needed to do. But there's a level of freedom that you experience today that you never had before. So let's talk a little bit about the prosperity piece, which I think is the freedom for you. So for me, one of the things that I thought about when realizing that I, I needed to do this for myself, um, go into this business and sort of create was that I wanted total time, location and financial freedom. Those are the three things that were really important to me. And so the business has allowed me to do that. Um, and I think, you know, for me, the financial rewards are great. And I definitely don't want to underplay that. Um, it's it's incredible to be paid in in sort of commensurate ways with the amount of value that you create for people and to also see sort of the the non-financial rewards to me like being able to pick up and and leave LA for a bit when I decided that it was time to go. So for me I think the the prosperity piece is great. I think the the what what prosperity enables me to do, i.e. travel to to be all around the country and to um, you know, sort of escape also like one of the things when, when I left LA was I downsized, I, I downsized completely. I took only the things that could fit in the middle seat of my car. My dogs were in the back and we hit the road. 
So for me, it was escaping the things that were no longer important, like the stuff and focusing more on the experience, which is always what I value the most. Oh, you said a lot there, the <laughs> stuff, the stuff, the stuff. So yeah. you yeah. you left the stuff behind and you got your three I freedoms. I've, I've heard my friend Maurice Villagini talk about the five freedoms, but it's three that you talk about. He's I so good. Think about yeah. uh, the the three that you talk about are the ones that I think most are pursuing. And then the other two come along later when you want to live a global life like he does. So, all right. So we move from the prosperity to the significance, which is the top layer. And just kind of weave throughout, you've talked about wanting to help people and making a big impact. But the thing that I like to ask people when we, you get to the significance piece and it's starting to work is you usually get that call. And you've had that call a lot where recruiters saying, hey, don't you want to come do this thing? You're going to have more stability and comfort, right? Like your thing's hard. Why are you doing that? Come do this. Did that happen for you yet? I've had definitely some opportunities that old Allison would have jumped at and and not thought twice about. I think for me, I never went on this adventure to get a more high-powered job or to to be one person doing this. My my vision was always to find ways to create more opportunity for people who cared more about people in the business than properties to be just as financially successful. And so that's what I'm in the middle of building. I can't imagine a scenario that would um, incentivize me enough to take me away from that mission. Um, and two, because I think I am, I have unique sort of talents and skills and abilities and experiences that make me the person to do this kind of work. And I know a lot of the people who are, are sort of in this business beside me or, you know, you might perceive them as competitors. I don't necessarily perceive them as competitors because I think we do entirely different things in our approaches. But the the fact is the the industry needs to change. And I think the industry needs to change from within. Um, and I think the the people who have platforms and voices and and communities need to be leaders right now and step up and say this is not okay. You know, the the creation of an employee resource group is not enough. Um, we need to invest in systemic change and, and building an industry that is reflective of the communities that we serve. And to me, that's too important, you know, to walk away from for any amount of money, I think. And, and so, yeah, I, I have had <laughs> I, I have had some good offers and. A lot, a lot of that is to me just a really high compliment that that people see what I'm doing and they resonate with it and and you know they they want a piece of that. But I think it's too good. The the work that I'm doing is too good and too important and too valuable for me to to step off that path. What a beautiful mission, Allison. And that's when you actually yeah. get the conviction of knowing there is no turning yes. back. There's hey, this yes. might work, and I'm gonna keep going. And then there's no, there's absolutely no turning back. So kudos to you. The Thank you. last two questions I want to ask, and these will be pretty quick. And the first one is, what are you most grateful for in this new space? I think I'm the most grateful for finding clients that I want to invite to a family barbecue and, and people around me that 
I truly do love and appreciate and cherish. I think back to, you know, the way that I grew up and seeing all the people around me have jobs. I had these ideas of work, that work had to be hard. It was not going to be fun. Um, You had to sacrifice. You had to, you know, put in long hours and it had to be all of these different things and none of them were pleasant. And so I've had to examine a lot of those beliefs and those patterns and that programming. And now I, I really have realized that I can work with amazing people who have the same values, who, who want to change things, who want to be companies that take great care of people over the long term and are not you know, in the business of sort of financially abusing or, or other, in other ways abusing people. So for me, I think I'm, I'm most grateful of that realization that I can have fun and be fulfilled and do really important work and also have financial rewards. And it doesn't have to be hard or painful. Whoa. Oh, it doesn't have to be hard or painful. That's awesome. So Allison, I appreciate your mission. I appreciate your transparency and your vulnerability. I appreciate your courage. And most people probably would be scared to use that word, but that's what you are. You're, you're, Courageous, and you're Thank you. founding and finding. And yes, the final question for this episode of Dreamcatchers podcast is simple. What's the one thing you want the listeners to take away from this episode? I do think that there is value in every person, and every person's experience and skills, and and what they bring to the table. I think our industry is very hierarchical. Um, It has a lot of structures and systems and things that were built over, you know, a hundred years or more. And I think that if you're the analyst or you're, you know, the managing director or the CEO or the assistant, you have tremendous value and you deserve to be here and be seen and be appreciated. And it doesn't matter where you came from or, or who your dad was or, you know, what college you went to or anything like that. I, I do think that you have value and worth. And I, I would love more people to connect with and believe that about themselves. Absolutely amazing. This has been a phenomenal episode. Guys, connect with Allison on LinkedIn, Instagram, or wherever else you can find her. This is a wrap. We'll talk to you guys soon. Until the next time, your dreams should be real. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.